River Church. Good to see your smiling faces, your beautiful faces. And uh, this morning, we're going to continue moving forward with God in Joshua by looking at the story of two cities. And uh, if you've been following along in Joshua, we're near the end of the narrative, but we've kind of last focused on the conquest was over. They now are in the promised land. Now let's divide up the land. And all the tribes are, you know, getting their place where they're going to live. But there's two kinds of cities that are yet to be established. And in Joshua 20, the one is the cities of refuge. And in Joshua 21 are the towns for the Levites. So we're going to take a look at those two cities this morning, in Joshua 20 and 21. And as I've been reading about the cities and thinking through them, especially when I think about this community, the River Church, I've come up with two names for the cities. The one, the cities of refuge, I I would label mercy. And Brad and the team just led us in such a beautiful song about our desperate need for mercy. And then the second are the towns for the Levites. And the word I came up with was vitality, spiritual aliveness. And I was trying to think of another word besides vitality and looking at the synonyms and uh, there's the word verb. That's a, that's, that's a great name. Verb or vim, vigor, zest, or zip. You know, uh, try to get, get our minds around this idea of, of a city that is alive. You know, that's just got so much energy. So keep those two words in mind. Mercy and vitality. It's what's true of the River Church, because it's always true of a community that God is working on and working through. And we've been, we've been trying to move forward with God. And here we are in Joshua 20. He's, he's moving us forward, and he has a value for mercy and vitality. It made me think of my mom. Uh, two weeks ago, I went to Vietnam for a couple weeks. And uh, the day before I left on this trip of a lifetime, my mom slipped away from her dementia and went downhill really fast. And then she died. And then I went to Vietnam. And I, I think I'm still in the process of trying to figure this out. You know, what does this mean, my mom? And so I'm looking at these chapters this week. It made me think of her. Uh, my mom was uh, a spark plug. She was 5'2", maybe. But she was a piano player. And she used that gift of playing the piano to lead the church. She was a worship leader for, you know, her whole life. And really shaped a lot of people and my upbringing through this gift that she had. But she had a side, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, a side interest. Somehow my mom, this little five foot two woman got connected to kids on the hill in the 1960s who were doing drugs. And if any of you were around back then, I mean, it was a really serious deal. And, you know, the explosion of kids doing some very, very dangerous, hard drugs. And somehow my mom started meeting them and making friends. You know, it... it, 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 it led to some of these people coming into our home and, 
you know, I'm a little kid growing up watching what my mom's doing. And, you know, there's people in our extra bedroom, you know, uh, heroin, LSD, and all sorts of other drugs, you know. And, and I, I saw some people die. And it's strange. My mom's right in the thick of this. I saw my mom extend a lot of grace and mercy to some kids that were in very desperate straits. She kind of had these two lives, you know? And uh, uh, I'm at home. My parents are on vacation. I'm 16 now. And uh, this girl calls. She's desperate. And she wants to get a hold of my mom and talk. And, you know, well, she's not there, but, you know, what's up? And so she says, my boyfriend who's in prison for drugs, you know, his friend stole his car. And they took it down to Harbor Hills, the housing project at Western and PB Drive North. And, and, and I need help. I, you know, I just, I got to get it back. And so I've watched my mom long enough. And I'm 16 and a guy. And I think, well, hey, you know, maybe I could help. And she says, would you really? So I drive to her house. I pick her up. We drive into Harbor Hills in the middle of the night to get this car back. It had been hot wired. The window was broken. And we don't have keys. So we decide we'll, we'll, we'll push it backwards. And then we'll coast down the hill out of the parking lot down Western until we're safe. <laughs> Pretty good idea, huh? So we're watching. You know, she says, you know, there's the house. And there's people coming and going. They're doing drugs. You know, there's deals and everything. And uh, so, okay, the right moment. And we run, we jump into the car, and I slice my hand on the broken window. I'm bleeding. This is awesome, you know. And, and, and we're pushing the car back, and we're, we're slowly going down the hill to get out of Harbor Hills. And a car races up right in front and cuts us off. And she panics. She says, oh, no, these are dangerous guys, man. They got guns, you know. And I'm thinking, what am I doing <laughs> In the driver's seat of this car with a girl I barely know whose boyfriend is in prison and his car is stolen. Well, ends up the police come and he looks at me, this young white kid from the hill, and extends great mercy. He said, you know, I've done a little investigation and uh, the guy in prison gave the pink slip to the car to these people. They didn't steal the car, young man. You stole the car. <laughs> ah, mercy, mercy. But I learned that from my mom. You know, just uh, she was so full of extending grace and love and embracement to all sorts of kids in really tough spots. And she was alive. She was alive spiritually. And so I give a shout out to her as I think about us moving forward with God. I want to. I want to just go to the text, explain it as briefly as I can, and then talk about what are the implications for us as the River Church. So uh, if you have your Bibles, Joshua 20 is relatively short, and then we'll read a couple verses from 21. Here's the story. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge as I instructed you through Moses. So that anyone who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. Now, when they flee to one of these cities, they're to stand at the entrance of the city gate and state their case before the elders of that city. 
Then the elders are to admit the fugitive into their city and provide a place to live among them. If the avenger of blood comes in pursuit, the elders must not surrender the fugitive because the fugitive killed their neighbor unintentionally and without malice aforethought. They're to stay in that city until they stood trial before the assembly and until the death of the high priest who is serving at that time. Then they may go back to their home in the town from which they fled. And then are listed the six cities of refuge that have been established. And then it closes with verse 9. Any of the Israelites or any foreigner residing among them who killed someone accidentally could flee to these designated cities and not be killed by the avenger of blood prior to standing trial before the community. And then the town for the Levites. So the family heads of the Levites approached Eleazar the priest, Joshua, son of Nun, and the heads of the other tribal families of Israel at Shiloh and Canaan and said to them, the Lord commanded through Moses that you give us towns to live in with pasture lands for our livestock. So as the Lord had commanded, the Israelites gave the Levites the following towns and pasture lands out of their inheritance. And then like a good business meeting, you see the minutes of all the towns listed that were given to the Levite. So let's just talk about these two towns, mercy and vitality, the cities of refuge and the towns for the Levites quickly and think about uh, their implications. Anarchy can ruin your day and it can end your life. And I'm grateful we live in a, a country where we've moved to the point where we really don't prefer anarchy. The cities of refuge were established to end the law of the jungle. And to bring some order, because in the very beginning of the story, we have Adam and Eve, and there's two sons, Cain and Abel. And Cain killed Abel, and it unleashed almost an unending cycle of vengeance and taking life for life. God cares about the world. He brought justice. He brought fairness. He brought a law into the world through his people, through Israel. That, that's God's design, is that his people would change the world and move it, always move it forward toward justice. So here in Joshua 20, as they're settling in the promised land, God establishes these six cities of refuge. And he wants us to move toward mercy, always moving toward Mercy. That's what these cities were all about. This is where we get due process of law or innocent till proven, proven guilty. Some of that has its roots right here in this text. And we live with that today. We benefit from that kind of world today. So just looking at chapter 20, you notice that God is the initiator. God in his character And a trajectory for humankind is always about mercy. He's about justice. He's about safety. He's about fairness. And he says, essentially, I want you, Israel, to follow through on what you said you would do. I commanded Moses in the wilderness to establish these six cities. Now, you've taken care of everyone else. It's time to make sure you follow through and establish these cities. 
you know, God gave Israel the land. And then here in chapter 20, they turn around and give some of the land back to God for his purposes. So just a model for us in our thinking. And you notice verse 3, this is dealing with accidental or unintentional killing. There's other scriptures there, but one talks about if you and your friend go into the forest to chop down a tree, and when you're chopping down the tree, the axe head flies off and hits your friend in the head and kills them. It's, it's, it's unintentional. You can, you can flee from the forest before his family comes and tracks you down to take life for life. That's where you get this idea of the avenger of blood. If one family member dies, then there was a, a rule, there was a role, there was a, a responsibility of the firstborn male in that family to seek vengeance. This guy dies, now someone in your family is going to die. The avenger of blood. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. And God is moving them forward toward having an option. So you see, the city of refuge is a place to flee. It's a place to run to. There are times in life when it gets so overwhelming. We've gotten caught up in life and we need a place to run. We need a place where people will provide us this protection. The place of protection. Verse 4, they were... They they were to invite the fugitive to live among them. Literally, the Hebrew text is telling us that the people are to gather around the person, providing protection and a place to live. It's the people gathered are really the protection. It's It's the community that provides the protection. They're to remain until they receive a fair trial. And did you notice that? And until the death, of the high priest. And then they're free to go back home to the place where they came from. It's also available for any Israelite, but notice that the text says in verse 9, and also the foreigners who happen to be living in you. God always has his, his eyes on the whole world until the death of the high priest. It just That drags us so meaningfully way into the New Testament when we see the, the death of Jesus and the way the, the letter of Hebrews talks all about Jesus as our high priest. You know, some Jewish writers said that there uh, was a law that on one day every year, the Israelites would gather and they'd send people to all the cities of refuge and they'd repair the roads. And they'd make the roads safe and, and flat and they'd remove every stumbling stone and they would repair all the signs so that there would be no hindrance for someone in trouble being able to get to a city of refuge. And if you look at the placement of these on the map, three on the west side of the Jordan, north to south, three on the east side of the Jordan, north, they weren't in the corners, they weren't remote, they weren't hidden, they were accessible so that hurting people could find a place for protection and a fair hearing. But then we add into there the towns for the Levites. The first is the cities of refuge, mercy. Now, 
the spiritual vitality that was designed to come from the towns for the Levites. Do you know who the Levites are? You know, we read about them a lot. We hear a lot of reference to them. But to, to think about the Levites and these towns for the Levites to live in, think in terms of the, the major big character in the Old Testament is Abraham. And God called him to leave his people and go. And God, God would create a nation where his glory could shine through to the whole world. Abraham had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had a son named Jacob, and then Jacob had 12 sons, and they became the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. And Levi was one of those sons, not particularly a stellar character, but while they were in uh, slavery in Egypt, they began to shift their understanding that Levi and his family, his tribe, they would take on a spiritual leadership role in the nation. And so that's who they are. They're sort of these uh, spiritual leaders. They're responsible for the sanctuary in the wilderness. And they have um, sort of... uh, the, 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 um, The statement was made that all 11 tribes will get land. They'll have an inheritance of the land. And so now they've divided that all up. But God said, but the, the Levites, you don't get any inheritance of land. Your inheritance is, is with God. You're set apart for God. And, you know, I can imagine some of them saying, that sounds a little bit nebulous. You know, like, I, I think I would like some real estate, you know, some, some land I can call my own. But they were, they were no, they're, 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 they're um, to represent God. So, again, in chapter 21, this is a follow-through on what God had promised. He, he, he had said, you know, once everything gets set up, we'll give you some, some towns. And, and here's the idea is, for Israel, it's always obedience to what God is doing as he's leading us forward. Just be obedient to this plan, to this trajectory that God is leading us on. And it says in verse 3 that the Israelites gave the Levites some towns to live in. It was like Israel gave themselves these towns. They made it a priority to have this kind of a town in their midst. And if you read through the list, you discover that there are 48 cities in all that were set aside for the Levites to live in. And interestingly enough, all six of the cities of refuge were also in one of the towns for the Levites. So um, these 48 were spread all over Israel. And I kind of think of them as like points of light. You know, you've, you've, you've come into this new land. You're forming yourselves as a people. And now we're going to prioritize that we have these 48 kind of like points of light points of salt, salt and light all over the country because they have a very special purpose. Each of these towns was like an incubator uh, uh, for spiritual nurture, for spiritual vitality, for, for activity ar- around God. And, and we might think of that today, you know, oh well, yeah, that, that's like having churches out there, but hold on to that thought for just a moment. Because the, the Levites... They were teachers. Um, they were they were um, 
theologians, you know, talking about God. What's the meaning of God? Who is God? What does God think about? That's, that's, the, that, that's theology. They were theologians. They were storytellers, you know, um, what God has done, remembering what God had done. They were counselors. They, they, were, they were helpers to one another. They were artists, you know, for the glory of God. They were, they were creative, thinking people about uh, what was happening. And they were ins- the inspired visionaries. You know, spread all over the land. It's kind of a cool, cool thought. And they're, they're really, they're like, um, the Levites were a loving reminder of who God was. That the, the, um, the Israelites, they wanted to make sure that they didn't forget who God was. And you know, there's people all the time asking questions about God, or maybe expressing some doubts about who God is. Confusion about what he does or what he doesn't do. And these towns were strategically placed with these visionaries, these these storytellers, to, in a sense, kind of remind people of what God was, was really like. So I want to think about this in terms of our church, uh, the River Church, in our DNA, in, in our mission. Why are we here? What, what, what is this all about uh, that we have going on? And I just want to say that, that God is always moving us toward mercy and spiritual vitality. Now, I know he's up to so many other things, but from this text, I just want to land on that this morning and have us think about what that looks like. And not only what that looks like for the future, but to just reaffirm that this has been true of the river from day one. So there are times when the church is gathered, like we are today, or like we were down at the beach, huddled in the, in the pea soup, uh, and, and gradually it just began to dissipate. It was just, it was so pretty. So we have a little gathering down at the beach, and here we are at the Norris. You know, so sometimes the church is gathered, and other times the church is scattered. We leave this place and we go out into the lives that God has leading us into with our families and with our work and with our school and our neighborhoods. In fact, the church is mostly scattered. But, you know, this phrase that we often use, hey, are you going to church today, is a phrase I think it actually is quite misleading and it doesn't really help. Because we're the church when we're gathered and we're the church when we're scattered in its full strength in all of those places. The question is, are we going to be the church? And these two words, mercy and vitality, guide us into that. So here's some of the thoughts I had about this this vision. You know, this system that God put in place only works if the whole community buys in. Many of you, maybe in your lifetime, you've noticed that, you know, when you were a little kid, you heard sirens, and it might be a fire truck or an ambulance, and everybody would pull over, right, and give a a highway for the rescue workers to get to that home in a matter of seconds and save someone's life. You you notice today how it's kind of like they have to haunt the horn. You know, it's like People, please move over. Let the guy through. It's sort of this, the same thing, you know. A community works on trust and buy-in. We're all in this 
together. And the same thing is true for mercy. And sort of this sense of spiritual energy. Because you and I know, people are really beat up. You just can't do life. You can't do work. You can't do school without feeling like, oh, this is really hard. This is a lot. This is, this, this is tough. And I've, I'm reading, uh, for the first time I've read one of Brene Brown's books, yeah, the gift of imp- the gifts of imperfection, and she has a little statement that grabbed me in the in the chapter about being real with each other. Is she said, you know, when you're listening to someone's story, it's far better to say, I- "I've been there too." You know, we don't fully understand, but rather than, "Well, you shouldn't feel that way," or "One time I," or you know, that reminds me of a story I had. No, just this idea of. I'm with you in this. I've, I've felt that before. So, it's this message that comes from a church that values mercy. It's, it's, it's like, you know what, you, you belong here. And I think that's so true when we're growing up. We just, we're looking for the place where we fit. You know, we're looking to our friends and we want to know that people like us. But that never goes away from it, does it? I mean, we're, we're always kind of wondering, where's our place in this world? Why am I here? Why am I in the driver's seat of this old car with a cut hand with a girl? You know, like, but, but, but. People come into relationships with us and they're asking, do I belong with you? Do I fit? Do you like me? They come into this kind of place and many of us that are regular and, you know, are like church rats or whatever, we forget what it's like to walk into a place like this for the very first time. What weird things are these weird people going to make me do? You know, my question is, um, can this person be in this space or in our house, a 15-year-old boy who's struggling with same-sex attraction? Uh, a wife who has recently experienced physical abuse in the secrecy of her own home with her husband. A man who's facing layoffs, and it's going to change everything for their family. Someone that has experienced deep, deep loss and their feet aren't on the ground yet. Can they be here? I mean, the fact of the matter is, is they already are. You already are here. And if we learn anything from Joshua 20, it says, this this is a place for you. You are welcome here. So the river values spiritual formation. We, we dabble with Jesus. We come to know him. We give our lives to him. And then we, um, we begin to grow in maturity. And he begins to work on our lives and our character. And, you know, a church that values mercy and wants to be a city of refuge, they leave spiritual transformation to God. We love it. We're all about it. But he's better at it than us. In fact, we sort of leave judgment aside. 
We're not going to go around, you know, critiquing. And here, this idea just popped out at me. In the New Testament is proclaimed what's called the priesthood of all believers. The Levites were a tribe set apart. They were the spiritual leaders. And yes, there is a place, a unique role for pastors and teachers that churches say, hey, we, we want you to take on this role. It's a unique role in the New Testament. But the New Testament also declares out loud that every believer after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus and his opening the temple to personal access of every single person, now you are a priest. Notice how the disciple Peter said it in his book, 1 Peter chapter 2, starting with verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, that's Jesus, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, You also, you, you also, personalize it. Like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Now, I don't want you to miss that. We think the church is a building. We pull that off of the temple, the Jewish temple, and now it's the church replaces that. And Peter and Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. The building is is helpful to facilitate the church gathering. You are the church. You're the stones that make the building. You're a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 9, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, God is always moving us forward from the cities of refuge and the towns of Levites to the reality that every single one of us is a Levite. You are a priest you, in, your, in your family and at your place of work, at your school and in your neighborhoods. You are a chosen priest of God, a, a leader. In fact, every single person that begins to follow Jesus is a leader. In your sphere of influence, according to your calling and gifting and makeup and your maturity, we're all leaders. There aren't some leaders that are at the river and then others are not. No, no, no. We're all invited into that. And the beautiful message of the towns for the Levites, these 48 points of light out in the community is that when we leave this place, you go as a representative of God, as a priest, out into the community. I was listening to an interview with Jason Romano. He is a producer for the Mike and Mike show on ESPN. And he's in charge of all of their social media. And a very um, strong believer in Jesus. And he became a Christian uh, you know, when he was when he was twenty one, and uh, 
He was working for ESPN, and over time, as he's growing in his spiritual maturity, he began to think, you know, um, maybe I, uh, I should leave ESPN and go work for a nonprofit. You know, I mean, as a Christian, aren't you supposed to do something more significant with your life? And he had this wise friend that worked with him at ESPN, and she said, Jason, are you crazy? God has called you to ESPN. You have an amazing platform, not only for sports, but for who you are and your influence in the world. And it made me think of so many of you at the river because there are really high-capacity people at the river. And I had a high-capacity friend, high-powered attorney in another church. He said, I once thought God was calling me into the ministry, and I thought I'd be a pastor. But, Bill, let me tell you, I'm a volunteer with you working with high school. I get to do what I love and disciple kids, and I get to leave all the garbage to you. I thought, ah, that's a wise person. God has called you into your home and your place of work, and he has gifted you and, and, and given you... A, a unique ability. And Jason said, I know that God has called me to be a really good producer. That's why ESPN pays me. But I do it as a representative of Christ. So when we leave, we, we go from this place and we become teachers. We become theologians, all of us. Storytellers. Counselors artists, and inspired visionaries all over the South Bay. And most of you know that this last week on Tuesday, Jesse Epshorst Jr., 16-year-old baseball player, outstanding athlete at South Torrance High School, after a stellar game, was coming home with his father from a birthday dinner at his grandparents' house, coming down Crenshaw, and was broadsided by two people that ran a red light. And it killed Jesse. I remember going, uh, Wednesday, um, uh, I went to the vigil at South High on the baseball field. And it was just one of those moments where you see the whole community coming together. And baseball teams from all the competing schools were there. And then I thought, oh, man, look, there's Matt Engel, our high school pastor. You know, way to go, Matt. He's in the right place, right time. And that's what a Levite does. That's what we do. You just, you show up. And then, and then I, you know, I saw the, the boys from Peninsula High School and um, there's A.J. Hollis. A.J., you know, here's a, here's a lover of Jesus, an outstanding athlete at Peninsula. He plays shortstop like Jesse. And I saw him with his, with his... That's just what you do. You just show up in your community. And you reflect and you remind people. You, you let people know what... God is like. He's full of mercy and he's full of life. So our theme this year has been come with us. And that's 
really the nature of Come With Us is that we just invite people to do life with us wherever God calls us and to bring that influence to overflow out of us, provide them a place of safety, and show them what it's like to be spiritually alive in Jesus' name. That's our calling. That's our commission. That's our our mission and our vision for what it's like to be a church. So I'm going to invite my man Brad to come up, his worship team, and... uh, I want you to receive that as, as, as sort of a commission going from this place that, um, that God has in your life. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for offering us mercy. I thank you for the people in this room gathered on the beach. I just pray, God, that you might infuse us with Uh, the compassion and warmth and love and grace of Jesus and uh, that the the sprinkling of salt and light in the South Bay through uh, the places we go might uh, transform people's lives for your sake. In your name, amen.